good morning, good to see you all. Um, we're continuing through this summer our sermon series called Global Historical Faith, going through the Apostles' Creed, as Tony mentioned. And one preacher described the creed as the focused, worshipful expression of people whose lives have been totally transformed by the Bible and by the risen Jesus Christ. Lives totally transformed, expressed through worship because of what the Bible says about Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ. So we're going to be anchoring each part of the creed in a significant passage of scripture in the Bible and aiming to draw out the practical ways in which we can live based on these truths. In the last couple of weeks, uh, we considered the creed's affirmation of the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and about Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And this morning, we're digging into the next few lines about how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. This morning's passage is from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8 and 12 to 19. We won't have anything on the projector just to keep things simple with the te te uh, technology. Um, but yeah, if you have your Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the 15th chapter of the Apostle Paul's pastoral letter written in 57 AD. 28 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, to the church in Corinth who was quite divided in many ways over who they would follow, over who had better spiritual status because of their charismatic giftings. And in chapter 13, he's reminding them that it's not all about the spiritual gifts that you can perform, but your heart of love for one another in the church. And in chapter 15, he's bringing them all together, unifying them under the gospel. This is good news for this polarized world that we live in. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8 and 12 to 19. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, and this is the ESV version, uh, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also... He appeared also to me. Verse 12. 
Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, all, in, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Give us understanding of your word and let it totally transform us by your power that it would result in life and hope in worshipful expression. In Jesus' name, amen. There's been a lot of suffering in the world throughout history, and the same goes for the last couple of years and the last couple of weeks. COVID, sickness, isolation, anxiety, racial injustice, political unrest in various countries. We've had various people who we love pass away. And our creed says that he, Jesus, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, Jesus suffered more than anyone, but holds hope brighter than anything. In accordance with the scriptures, Jesus suffered more than anyone, but holds hope brighter than anything. We're going to be looking about the various layers of Jesus' suffering according to the scriptures and history and how he holds hope brighter than anything that would come our way, anything that came his way. He holds hope brighter than any darkness that you would ever experience. 
You might feel that you've been in a dark place in the past or maybe presently, but Jesus holds hope brighter than anything. And that's good news for you. That's good news for your family. That's good news for your friends. And so let's get into it. In accordance with the scriptures, that's where we're starting. In accordance with the scriptures, verse 3 from our passage says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures. What is he saying? Let's unpack that statement. In accordance with the scriptures, the NIV and the KJV translations translates this as according to the scriptures, which is good and fine. According to the scriptures, just as the scriptures tell us, that's how he died. Christ died and was raised according to the scriptures. And it's important to consider that this statement is saying that that it's saying this, but it's not just saying, according to what it says in the gospel narratives, Jesus died and rose again. It's not just saying that their beliefs of Jesus' death and resurrection are based on the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's saying much more than that. It's saying that Jesus died and raised as the, new, as the Old Testament scriptures said that he would. The New Living Translation puts it this way, just as the scriptures said. The Amplified Bible also captures the meaning, according to that which the scriptures foretold. And the English Standard Version, which we're focusing on, puts it clearly, while translating the Greek more literally to English, saying, in accordance with the scriptures. The prophet Isaiah, who lived roughly, roughly 700 years before Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he prophesied about a future suffering servant of God who would suffer for the sins of the people, who would be innocent yet mocked and executed as though he was a criminal. But he died, he would somehow come back to life. This foretelling of the Messiah, the sinless, suffering Savior, found in Isaiah chapter 53, is one of the many scriptures that are referred to when it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not only historically recorded, but they are prophetically predicted and fulfilled in Christ. And this prophetic fulfillment has been historically passed on to us as well. Verse 5 says, And he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So you could go and reference them at that time when he was writing this. People could go and check with these eyewitnesses. 500 of them. 
most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is a euphemism for death because they would be raised again, awoken from dead, from death. Then he appeared to James, Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. As if Paul was like a, a premature birth in the, into the family of God or adopted into the family of God. Cyril of Jerusalem, a bishop who lived in the mid-300s AD, wrote in a catechism by quoting the Apostle Paul here and then offering his own comments. He went back and forth between the Apostle Paul and his own comments. He appeared to Cephas and after that to the twelve. So if you believe one witness, you have, if you disbelieve one witness, you have twelve witnesses. Then he was seen by more than 500 people at once. If they've disbelieved the 12, then listen to the 500. After that, he was seen by James. His own brother was the first overseer of this Jerusalem diocese. So this is very connected in history. Jesus' brother is gathering with this diocese, this group of churches since so noteworthy a bishop was privileged to see the risen Christ along with the other disciples, some might still disbelieve, but you may say that his brother was a biased witness, okay? So then he continues, he was seen by me. But who am I? I am Paul, his enemy. I was formerly persecutor, but now I preach the good news of the resurrection. As Paul says in verse 1, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is a, a long line of handed down eyewitness testimony passed on. And we have those early documents today. So let's receive afresh what Paul received as he delivered to us as of first importance. In accordance with the scriptures, Jesus suffered more than anyone. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, the governor of that day. Matthew 27, verse 1 says, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. There's a huge mob trying to get votes to get Jesus killed. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Jesus was handed over to the state to authorize execution in an occupied or colonized country. These are the words of John Harrop. We were thinking about this passage, and he pointed out that Jesus would identify with some of these children who have experienced a, a, a terrible experience in residential schools. He was handed over to the state to authorize execution in an occupied or colonized country. We, will, we read of additional testimony of this in Mark 15, in Luke 23, and in John 18. In Luke 23... Verse 10 and 11, 
Pilate sent Jesus to be judged by Herod. In verse 10 it says, The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him with splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Jesus is being tossed back and forth between governors. They're trying to accuse him. They're trying to get him executed. Jesus suffered in shame and painful crucifixion. So they mocked him and they put him to shame. In Mark 15, verse 17 to 20. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put, on, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus was brutally beaten. He was lashed he was mocked, spat upon, and they put this royal robe as a mockery, of course. They knelt down in homage, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, joking at him. And in the King James Version, it says in verse 27, 28, And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was reckoned with transgressors. Jesus was put on this cross, which was a display to shame all those who would do things that was against uh, the Roman rule, against the city there. It was an example, do not do this. And it was known to be so associated with shame and contempt the Jewish people would see that as being cursed. And Jesus suffered the punishment of the world's sins. And it says that, that Jesus took on the sins of the world. He appeased the Father's wrath. There's this propitiation that it speaks of. Um, and if, if we think about how someone has committed a great crime, maybe against some innocent people, we want justice. And people are, are voting for justice. They are you know, lobbying their government, saying, we want justice. You know, the, the, the men who uh, have committed these crimes, racial injustice, they are being called to account. And people are rejoicing, I think rightfully, for justice. They're going to prison because it's recognized that this was murder. And Jesus took on the sins of the whole world. These people thought that he was getting justice for what he deserved, but he was actually willingly taking on the sins of the whole world, and he dealt with it. Well, how was wrath appeased? God's righteous wrath against sin. 
Because injustice needs to be dealt with. How did Jesus deal with it? On his body on the cross. He took upon the punishment that the world deserves, that you and I deserve. He willingly took that upon himself. You and I can't even bear our own sin. We can't even face the suffering that would come from our own sins against the holy God. And for whoever in this world rejects Jesus' offer to take their sins, to give them his righteousness, they have to face that suffering because justice will be paid. But Jesus is offering a trade, an exchange, and he would take on the sins of all who would trust in him. He would take on all their sins and he would be crushed on the cross. This is suffering that no one can face but Jesus. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered rejection of the Father. You know, you and I, we, we could handle a lot of suffering if we've got a close friend right near us. If we've got a family member that we can cling to. But Jesus on the cross experienced the punishment for the world's sins. And at the same time, it was the abandonment of the Father. In Matthew 27, verse 46, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, earlier in this series, we looked at, at how Jesus had this perfect communion and love with the Father for all of eternity. It's beautiful union and love, and for the first time in eternity here, he's forsaken by the Father. Because that is what happens when we face sin in our bodies. When judgment comes, and those who reject Jesus' offer, there is the forsakenness of the Father. And Jesus died, the righteous Jesus died for the unrighteous, so that the unrighteous, like us, would be brought to God and not forsaken. Jesus suffered to the point of death. And our, the creed says he descended to the dead, or it says he descended into the grave. Other versions say he descended to hell. The statement isn't included in the earliest versions of this creed, of the old Roman rule. And so it's thought to be an addition at some point. Some church traditions include the statement with an asterisk saying, he remained in a state of death for a certain period. So we're going to consider the different views about this statement that he descended to hell or to the dead. In D. Bruce Lockerbie's book, The Apostles' Creed, Do You Really Believe It? 
he writes this. The final clause in this sequence, he descended into hell, is the most controversial of the Apostles' Creed. Indeed, some denominations consider it optional or refuse to include it at all. The problem with this phrase begins with what it connotes. To some, the descent into hell represents the physical agony of death upon the cross. It was hellish in its pain. To others, the word hell means Hades or Sheol, the collective abode of the dead, divided into paradise or Abraham's bosom, the state of God-fearing souls, or Gehenna, the state of ungodly souls. Thus, the descent into hell may suggest that the Son of God carried the sins of the world to hell, or the Son of God carried the good news of deliverance to the godly dead, such as Lazarus, the beggar, and the repentant thief on the cross. A third century Syrian creed speaks of Jesus, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate and departed in peace in order to preach to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the saints concerning the end of the world and the resurrection of the dead. Still others believe that the descent into hell accounts for the problem of God's justice by providing an opportunity for all mankind to, in eternity as well as in time, to hear the message of redemption from the Word, Jesus himself. However we look at this, the point here is that Jesus truly did suffer and die. And his death means that he really did take on your sins. He really did pay the debt on the cross. And he really did resurrect from the dead. Uh, in Islam, there's this, their, their belief is that Jesus would seem to have died, but he didn't actually die. And then when he was put into the grave, he just kind of resuscitated and then got out. But Jesus truly did die and raise on the third day. And as Jesus told us that his followers would experience suffering as they would follow us, as, as they would follow him, uh, we need to consider that for, for ourselves. Thank you, Jay, for reading that scripture. That, or, yeah, about being a good soldier in Christ, but that we would face the suffering in the world. Verse 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, just if that were the case, let's just talk theoretically, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Now remember, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, who he was a very notorious, uh, famous Pharisee. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was top pedigree. He was well-known of good standing, good favor amongst the people. And he left that to follow the very person he was persecuting. That's, that's no just like playing his cards like, oh, what's better? He says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we are most to be pitied. I have no gain in this. I'm not doing this to, to start a pyramid scheme or anything. I'm doing this because Jesus really did die and raise from the dead. And that's good news for me and you and everyone who believes. But it comes at a cost. There's suffering. There's sacrifice. And people who don't believe in Jesus will mock that sacrifice. 
in university philosophy class, I became aware, I wasn't a Christian yet, and I, I became aware of something called Pascal's Wager. Who here's heard of Pascal's Wager? Okay, five, six hands. Blaise Pascal was a Christian, French philosopher, theologian, mathematician, and physicist, wow, of the 17th century. And he came up with a well-known philosophical flowchart called Pascal's Wager. In this flowchart, you have to decide whether you believe that God exists or not. There's no in-between. And if you believe God exists, there are pros and cons. And if you believe that God does not exist, well, there's pros and cons as well. If you believe that God exists, and he really does, you have infinite gain, heaven, eternal life. But if God doesn't exist, and you still believe it, and you believe in him, you have a finite loss. You didn't get to party as much. You wasted time sitting in a building right now, giving to charity, and charity that did things that, you know, what you're teaching isn't even true, so you're wasting your time. If you don't believe in this right now, well, you're welcome to stay, but, you know, it's your choice. On the other hand, if you believe that God does not exist, but in fact God does exist, you have an infinite loss. Hell, eternal punishment for your sins. Though if God does not exist, and you believe he doesn't exist, you have a finite gain. You have the mentality of let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Or as they would say in a certain generation recently, YOLO. You only live once. Write that down. YOLO. Okay. The Apostle Paul said in verse 19, if in fact Christ, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep, like an appetizer to the whole banquet. As Christ raised from the dead, we all will be raised from the dead one day. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all who believe in him be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Christ did in fact raise from the dead. And he will come again to bring resurrection life to those who belong to him. Do you belong to him? If so, rejoice. If you don't, really think about these things. Really do some soul searching. Are you living for what really matters? Are you living in light of the reality that God exists and he loves you and he died for your sins, offers you life? Will you receive that? In accordance with the scriptures, Jesus suffered more than anyone but holds hope brighter than anything. In accordance with the scriptures, Jesus holds hope brighter than anything. Jesus held hope brighter than suffering. Through his suffering, Hebrews 12 says, 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw that the cross was not the end. He saw joy ahead of him. He saw the joy of redeeming humanity to himself. Jesus held hope brighter than sin as he faced all the sin around him, as he faced the sin that he took on upon himself. He held this hope brighter. Jesus held hope brighter than death. He was prepared to face death head on. And when he saw Lazarus dead in the grave, he had hope. Because he knew that he was going to die and be raised again. It says, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is good news for those of us who are grieving over those who have died recently. He holds hope brighter than death. And he really did die and he really did raise up from the, the, the dead. The creed says, on the third day he rose again. The apostle Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, for I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The church throughout the last 2,000 years has preached the historical account that Jesus truly died. And he truly rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the reality of the resurrection. Not to be confused with reincarnation, which Eastern religions believe that after you die, you live a future life in another person or an animal's body. And someone would say, oh, they're an old soul, meaning they've had pre many lifetimes to try and figure out what life is all about. No, they're about as old as they are in body. Um, maybe they've had some life lessons in this life. Maybe they're mature or God has brought revelation. But there is no reincarnation. Jesus says there is a resurrection. The Bible says that it is appointed for man to live once, and then comes the judgment to live once. But there's good news that after the judgment, there would be resurrection to all those who believe in Jesus. Jesus came back from the dead in the same body, and he showed the wounds to his, of his crucifixion to his followers. There was a, a, a terribly unscholarly, poorly done pseudo-documentary that came out years ago. It's not even worth mentioning. I'll just type in really bad documentary about Jesus. Um, that claimed that Jesus was a mythological mix of a plurality of pagan gods and deities invented by previous cultures. And the main claim, uh, example that they try to give is the Egyptian god Horus. And they claim that Horus was crucified, died for three days, and being brought back from the dead. And, but when you look into it, their claims are either completely unfounded, or well, they are, and misleading and dishonest, and they're also hopelessly confused. The closest thing to that claim that Horus resurrected is that the god Osiris, Horus' father, was brought back to life by the god Isis, 
Horace's mother and went to be the lord of the underworld. I don't see that many uh, similarities. Or similar to the Eastern uh, religion's belief of reincarnation, the reigning pharaoh would be thought of as the manifestation of Horus when he's alive, and then when he died, he would be, become Osiris. The movie says that Hindu's Krishna was also crucified and resurrected, but if you look into it, Hindu teachings clearly state that Krishna was killed by an arrow shot from a hunter who accidentally hit him in the heel. And after he died, he ascended to be with Brahman. In all other religions, there's no talk of anything close to the crucifixion. No one dying for the sins of the world. Not staying in the grave for three days. No bodily resurrection. But Jesus really did suffer. He really did die and rise again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The Greek actually uses the verb, like he was raised, it, it would say he has been raised. He is raised. We don't usually use that kind of tense in English. He is raised. That's where we would say he is risen. It's a Greek tense that points to the present effect of that past tense reality. Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago has a present effect today. He is raised. He is risen. He has been raised. Jesus holds hope for you in your suffering, in your sin, and in the death. Jesus holds hope for you in your suffering, suffering in health, in the pains of old age, in poverty, in isolation from friends, through marriage, with miscarriage, through chronic pain, in chemo treatments, in grief and in loss, in fatigue and the demands of work, suffering through sacrifice or ridicule because of your faith or persecution. Jesus holds hope brighter than all of these things, and he holds it for you. There's hope for victims of abuse, racism, and hate and discrimination. God has shared in rejection, isolation, abandonment, suffering, execution, and death. And then he rose victoriously from it all. Jesus holds hope for you in all these things. In your sin, your sin is paid and forgiven. In death, death does not have the final answer. And you can take hold of this and get through the darkest times because Jesus holds this hope out for you. This hope is for you in every season. The darkest, most depressing seasons. Maybe you have ongoing depression or anxiety. Jesus has hope for you brighter than those seasons. Cling to him. 
Verse one from our text says, now I would remind you brothers and sisters of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, how do I believe in vain? Well, it's that you're not hanging on to this word of the gospel. You're not clinging to it. He says, hold fast. This means, this would have a connotation to check a ship's headway, to hold on to the ship's direction, to keep secure, to keep firm possession of, to hang on to, to stay the course, hang on to the wheel, and don't swerve the direction of the gospel. Don't lose your grip on these words of life. Hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus. He suffered and died for you so that you may have life and life to the full. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. The summer is here and there's beauty, there's sunshine, there's camping, there's going to the beach. But in the midst of that, there's also suffering. So you may be having a great summer so far. I've had a pretty good summer so far, but there's suffering around us. Suffering in our lives, in the lives of those we love. And there's good news for all of us. There's good news. Maybe God wants you to share this with somebody this week. Would you pray with me? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you that you are the suffering servant and savior. That you didn't just leave us to our own in this broken world. You didn't just leave us to suffer, but you entered into our suffering. Thank you, Jesus, that you held on to hope brighter than all suffering. You have hope brighter than anything we're going through. Lord, we want to take hold of this hope right now. We want to hold fast to this hope. And we want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that death does not have the final answer, does not have the final word. Our suffering is not the end, but there will be an end to suffering. We thank you, Lord, that when things look dark, you shine brighter. And you can help us to get through. Even though we can't see through the darkness, you can pull us through. Jesus, we receive you afresh this morning. Thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope, for taking us with you from death to life. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you.